everyone, and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss what I love about horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror and history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this like perspective and aspect into the show as well and kind of see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. So originally for my little ditty area that I do, I was going to talk about something else that I thought of and I was like, oh, I kind of want to talk about that, you know, but then something is kind of weighing on my heart right now that happened last night. So I wanted to just talk a little about that because like I said, this is my area where I just kind of talk about whatever I want. I want you guys to know that, you know, I can be as relatable as possible and things happen to me and I don't know, I'm a human being. So last night, I went to check on my daughter's hamster. His name is Jimmy Hamdrix to see if he needed food or water. And he was up in his like little bedroom area asleep. And then when I opened it, I noticed that he didn't really move. And then I kind of looked around and his like food dish was still full and he had like really shallow breathing. So I picked him up. And when I picked him up, he felt really cold. Like he didn't ever feels cold. He always feels warm. And then when I put him down on my chest for a minute, he started shaking like involuntarily, like almost like when a human being has like a seizure or Parkinson's disease. So, I mean, it was really scary. I even took a video of it. So I held him for a bit and he kind of fell asleep on me, which he never does. Like he likes being picked up and held and he likes to walk around on you, but he never actually falls asleep or sits on you for a long period of time, you know, let alone actually fall asleep on you. So I kept thinking, I'm like, Ugh, something's wrong. You know, again, this was last night. So I'm like, something's wrong. And I know he's two years old and I know that hamster's lifespan is like two to three years. So I feel like his time is coming. But like just a few days ago, he was fine. Like he was eating, drinking, running around on his wheel, running around in his ball around the house. You know, he was, you know, up and playing like he was full of life. And then boom, a couple days later, he's declined really fast. So checking on him today, it's still the same. And so I, the video I had taken of him, I sent it to a friend of mine because she has um, a vet. She knows a vet, I mean, that um, specializes in small animals. And kind of like my conclusion was pretty much what the vet concluded. So like, it's pretty much confirmed. She said, the vet said, since he's, he's two years old, he stopped eating and drinking, he most likely will be crossing the rainbow bridge soon. And if any of you haven't read that poem, it's a beautiful poem about um, when animals pass away. So I know to some people it might seem weird that like I'm on the verge of crying over a hamster and, you know, but he was part of my family. You know, I bought him for my daughter two years ago for her birthday. And in my culture, every animal has a spirit and a purpose. And once it becomes part of a family, it's part of that family. It's no longer a pet. It's family. And I keep telling Jimmy, you know, that he was loved and it's okay to go and we will be fine. Because again, like part of my cultural belief is that animals like human beings will hold on until they know their family will be okay. You know, most animals will actually leave and go into the woods in order to pass away peacefully. Um, not because they want to die alone, but because they know they want to know their family is okay and that it's okay for them to pass. And they kind of want to spare the people, the heartache of watching him pass. So it's like, but he's in a cage, so he can't go away. So I just told my daughter, I'm like, well, we can't really pick him up anymore. We'll just tell him that we love him. 
but we need to let him, if he's going to pass away, he needs to, you know, pass away peacefully knowing that we're okay and that it's okay for him to go. So I keep thinking, like, I hope he pulls through because I want him to pull through, you know, but I also don't want him, you know, in pain. So I do want, if he's going to pass, I hope he goes, you know, passes away peacefully. So I was like, I'll just let you guys know, like, once I upload the show tomorrow, you know, I, I hold on to hope that, you know, he will push through and whatever this is, because I, I read that it could be hibernation mode and he just needs to warm up. But, you know, if not, and he does pass away, I just, you know, rest in peace, Jimmy. You know, he was family and he was loved. And, you know, like I said, as part of my culture, every animal has a spirit. And I believe they move on to the spirit world when they pass. I just can't believe that when an animal dies, that nothing happens. I hope when I make it to the spirit world, all my animals are there waiting for me to, you know, welcome me back or, you know, or are happy to see me. So anyways, um, hold on a second. I, I got to stop for a minute. Okay. Sorry about that. I just had to pause for a minute. I was a little bit kind of crying. It is, you know, a little hard. So anyways, I've pulled through. I am okay. I just needed a moment for myself and I'm moving on to the next movie of the 80s which is 1985's The Stuff directed by Larry Cohen starring Michael Moriarty as Mo Rutherford, Andrea Markovici as Nicole, Garrett Morris as Chocolate Chip Charlie, Paul Sorvino as Colonel Spears, Danny Aiello as Vickers, um, Patrick O'Neill as Fletcher and then Scott Bloom as Jason. So this was one of those movies that I definitely feel focused more on horror history over like psychology and mental health. So like horror history, this was like the time of excess, more is better, more is never enough. You know, it, it's consumerism, Reaganism, you know, good old American greed, company greed. I think there's a little bit of com um, communism in there, you know, the commies, quote commies, capitalism. So this movie definitely reflects a lot on what was going on at the time. But psychology and mental health, you know, it does, I think, touch base a lot on addiction and substance use disorder. And then a little bit of like paranoia, manipulation, and then I would say binge eating disorder because the way that people consume this stuff, they're binge eating it, which is a compulsion and a legitimate eating disorder. So I'm going to read really quickly from my essay because I haven't done that in a while because I did write a part for the 80s that did talk a little bit about consumerism and the time of excess. So the 1980s was also the time of excess, the time where consumerism was considered a good thing and people wanted faster, shinier, and bigger items. Wilson. But consumerism was also feared because is bigger always better? What will it do to the economy? How does consumerism affect the next generation? This time of excess made way for a breakthrough in special effects, and the 1980s was a huge year for special and practical effects. Practical effects made the monsters look more realistic. The horror movies didn't have to rely heavily on green screens and stop motion animation. They could bring these creatures to life monument. And being the decade of excess and more is better, the audience flocked to these movies to see how realistic and terrifying these monsters could be. The 1980s horror movies reflected on the rise of consumerism, but also the fears that consumerism could bring. Is bigger always better? And horror movies tried to answer that question, while at the same time giving the audience the excess they wanted through special effects. So that's just a little bit of my essay that said I haven't read from there for a while. So what is this movie about? A mysterious yet delicious white goo oozes up from the ground, is packaged and marketed as the next low-calorie, great-tasting dessert called The Stuff. But something is off about this new dessert. No one really knows what the ingredients are, how it's made, 
or why so many people involved are so hush-hush about the product. A private investigator and former FBI agent, Mo Rutherford, is hired by the competing ice cream company to find out the secrets behind the stuff. But Mo finds out that the stuff is more than a dessert. Something sinister seems to be afoot. Can Mo stop the stuff from taking over the world, or will it consume him too? So, moving on to the subgenre. I would definitely put this horror movie under um, the subgenre of horror comedy. This subgenre kind of blends horror and humor in such a way that while the audience may scream and close their eyes during certain points, they will also find themselves laughing and smiling during other points. You know, these movies may spoof another movie, think Scary Movie, or make fun of an entire genre, think Shaun of the Dead, you know, making fun of this zombie subgenre, or have over-the-top gore and kills that it becomes hilarious, think Dead Alive. You know, other times... You know, these movies, you know, the humor is a little more subtle and more sarcastic, like pretty much like the movie that I will be going over today, the stuff. So the definition or what I had written out for my essay for horror comedy, this subgenre balances horror and humor together in such a way to deliver scares to the audience while also letting them laugh. These films intend to break the ice in the horror aspect to help make the movie fun and enjoyable. Sometimes the -the over-the-top gore and kills add humor to the movie and other times, this subgenre will spoof another horror movie or an entire genre altogether. This subgenre is a great gateway horror to help ease some people into the horror genre and help them enjoy the genre as a whole. So that's a little bit of that. So this one, I'm just pretty much going to focus on like a lot of the different like metaphors and symbolism within the movie. Like on the surface, this movie is definitely all about consumerism, capitalism, Reaganism. You know, like I said, good old American greed. You know this company develops a product, advertises, well, they don't develop it, you know, they find it out of the ground, but I mean, like, they have this product, they advertise the hell out of it, you know, make people want it and buy it, you know, and like I said, in the 80s, it was the time of excess, bigger, you know, better, faster, shinier products. So I definitely think the surface of this movie is definitely, definitely commenting on the whole idea of, like, consumerism. But then I was thinking, like, underneath the surface, like, I feel like, the underlying metaphor and message is really for addiction. You know, the idea that like, if you think about it, you know, the cigarette companies and alcohol companies contributed a little to these substance use disorders developing all over the USA by glorifying their product without really telling the public the side effects or consequences of their products. You know, what they could, what could happen to the person's body? What could happen to them if they consumed these products? You know, and along with this idea, I'm thinking, so, you know, sorry, let me backtrack a minute. So the whole idea about them advertising to people these products like cigarettes and alcohol without really telling them what could happen to them also helped, you know, people develop an addiction to these products, you know, because, you know, they were like, oh, these people are having fun, you know, they're drinking and having fun or they're smoking cigarettes and laughing. So and and I remember as a kid and in high school, Camel Joe. You know, the cartoons of Camel Joe, which was cigarette company, which is actually the cigarettes I started smoking when I back in the day when I was smoking, which I smoked for 13 years. So anyways, moving on. So I do think like consumerism underlying message is definitely about addiction, you know, addiction in general. And then like how some of these companies, you know, were glorifying their product, um, contributing to, you know, substance use disorder around the United States. And then I was thinking like, Some of this movie could be seen for, like, I don't know. I would say, like, 
there's also a little bit that made me think of um, communism. It's actually one scene that made me really think of like the fear of the other, you know, the fear of someone coming from another country, infiltrating us, like sneaking in, hidden in the shadows, you know, um, you know, that whole idea of like coming over and taking over us. And then it made me look back a little bit into the movie. And I really did realize that some of these aspects, you know, could be seen as a metaphor for also, you know, communism, you know, Again, it's the enemy coming in, sneaking in unseen, slowly infiltrating, taking over. And before we know it, they have taken complete control of us, taken control of our minds. So does the stuff to a human being. So basically my plan is to kind of go from start to finish, not scene by scene, of course, but like I'm going to just go through and try to explain how it could represent consumerism and addiction. And then a little bit later on about the communism, because it really is one scene that made me think of it to make me backtrack. So I'm going to do this the best I can. You know, some of these might be a combination of both. And anyway, so I'm going to start with actually the opening. So there's like an elderly man in the train yard, like an industrial work area. It's winter and snowing. And he kind of hears like this gurgling sound and sees a white, like goo kind of like yogurt, melted marshmallow looking substance kind of bubbling out of the ground. And he goes, what the hell is this? Of course, he sticks his fingers in it and touches it. He's like, so smooth, huh? And then, you know, of course, because the smart thing to do is to lick it. So he proceeds to, you know, lick the substance, the strange substance off his fingers and says, that tastes real good, tasty, sweet. And then one of his like buddies or like workmates kind of, you know, comes over and sees him eating this stuff more. And he's like joking with him, like, oh, are you eating snow again? And the guy's like, no, no, come here. Like, you got to try this stuff. Like, because, you know, like when you find something bubbling out of the ground and you eat it, the next thing to do you know, is to let your friend eat it, you know? So he eats it, his friend eats it. And then they're like, we need to package, you know, package and sell this stuff, you know? And that's the whole beginning of the movie. And that's how the stuff is created or comes from. So at first I'm thinking like, of course, this could be reflecting on addiction, you know, finding something, you know, a person finding something they enjoy and they want their friends to join in and they even offer their friends, you know, to try this stuff. Like, Hey, I just found this. This is, really fun to do. Why don't you come join me and do this? And I'm not saying this in a mean way or a bad way. Like I definitely experimented with drugs back in the day. I remember, you know, being like, Hey, yo, like this was fun. Let's go do this together. So it does happen and it can, you know, form an addiction. So that's what I think it was reflecting on was the whole idea of like, this guy finds his stuff. It's, he finds something, he's immediately likes it and it immediately makes him feel good. And he wants his friends to join in with him which I think is a reflection a little bit on addiction when someone first um, finds a substance that they do enjoy, such as alcohol. I mean, cigarettes is considered, you know, people are addicted to cigarettes, people are addicted to caffeine, people, you know, people just think drugs when they think addiction, but there's a lot more underneath. There's a lot of things people can be addicted to that's not drugs. There's alcohol, there's um, cigarettes, there's caffeine, there's, I mean, there's a lot more. So when I'm talking about addiction, I try to talk about it as a whole. If I want to talk about specifics, I will. So anyways, that's just a little bit of like what, how I think it was kind of reflecting on addiction in general. So then there's like this next is like a commercial for the stuff. And then it's this lady and she's like, when I was a little girl, I didn't think there was anything that I liked better than ice cream. Now I'm a big girl. And I've decided there's something I like better, much better. It's called the stuff. And believe me, enough is never enough. And so <laughs> first of all, it was kind of a funny commercial. I'm just kind of laughing at it. 
And then I'm like, okay, this is definitely like consumerism, I'd say, like the capitalism, you know, marketing and selling a product with, you know, this flashy commercial and intriguing dialogue by someone who looks fancy, yet they're trustworthy, you know, to make people want to buy this product. And of course, it's a product they don't really know much about. Like, it's just seeing someone say like, hey, yo, like, I really like this product. Look at me and my little fancy, you know, black fur coat and flashy signs in the back. And I'm telling you to try the stuff because you want to try it too. Like selling, you know, really selling to the audience with this like flashy, shinier, you know, commercial. And then I started thinking a little bit, you know, into the addiction aspect. You know, it's kind of like the same idea, this fun and shiny commercial with an interesting and beautiful woman giving a quote, relatable story on why she enjoys the product, you know, making people want to consume this product without, again, even knowing the side effects and the harm it can cause on the body, such as, you know, alcohol and cigarette companies, you know, did. And I don't know if they still do now, but um, to be quite honest, because I don't really watch TV anymore. But I remember back in the day as a kid seeing commercials for alcohol and cigarettes, and they were glorifying their product. And they weren't ever telling like the long term effects that this product could have on a person's body, not to mention how addictive their product could be. So I definitely think like that little commercial just kind of reflects both on the whole idea of like consumerism of like, hey, look at this commercial. I like this stuff. You need to try it too. Like flashy, shinier, buy my stuff, buy my product. But also the idea of like addiction and how people were watching some of these commercials for certain products and not really knowing how it could harm their body because the companies weren't even saying it. They were just saying, buy my stuff, buy the cigarettes, drink my alcohol without even saying like, oh, by the way, it has addictive properties. You can become addicted, which is going to affect you and harm you both mentally and physically. So um, moving on, because I'm trying not to go too in depth because sometimes I feel like I repeat myself over and over again and I feel really bad when I do that. So now I'm going to move on. And there are a couple of scenes between like Mo and like he sees like two different people, Vickers and Fletcher, who are involved with the stuff. And, you know, they're people who help get the product to the people and without really knowing or caring what the product was made of or whether or not it was tested properly. And they just basically wanted to get the stuff on the shelves and for purchase so they can make money. So the first one is between Mo and Mr. Vickers. Mo, uh, Mr. Vickers, how long have you been with the Food and Drug Administration? Vickers, almost 19 years. Yeah, pretty soon they'll be retiring me. Mo, and as I understand it, you were part of the team that tested and approved a product called The Stuff. Vickers, oh, they didn't have a name for it then, but they sure mer merchandised the hell out of it. But we all agreed it was a good product. Mo, how long was it tested before you approved it? Vickers, you've got to understand that this is a dessert, not a prescription medicine, not any different from yogurt or ice cream. Mo, what's in the stuff? What's it made out of? Vickers, how's it made? What was your name again? Mo Rutherford. Vickers Rutherford. Mo, yeah, Mo Rutherford. Vickers, I hope I hope you're not going to tell me now that there's been some trouble. I mean, someone's allergic to it? Mo, that would upset you, wouldn't it? Vickers, look, all we can do is look for something common to most people. Now, if there's no reason to forbid the use of the product, then we have to okay it. And in this case, it was. In this case, it was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure because I love it. I love it. Mo. Oh, you eat the stuff? Vickers, all the time. I feed it to Ben. Ben has some. Ben is his dog, by the way. 
Mo. Well, I, I suppose if both of you eat it, it's got to be all right. Vickers, yes, it's really good. Mo, but I understand that you're not actually a chemist, Mr. Vickers. Vickers, no, no, I'm an administrator, but uh, I can give you the names of some of the people on the panel. Mo, well, I tried that already, but for some strange reason, they're all out of the country or they're deceased. Vickers, mm, what a shame. Mo, yeah, say, uh, where did you test the stuff? Vickers, stater. Mo, stater, Virginia? Vickers, I still have some old preliminary worksheets in my office upstairs. Maybe you should look at them. Nothing confidential. Mo, I appreciate that. I'd Xerox them and send them right back to you. Vickers, you know, you're lucky. I never throw anything away. So here's a man who not only supposedly tested this product at the stuff, he approved the product without knowing any of the ingredients or how the product's made. Again, selling a product for the public to consume, to make money, no matter what the consequences are. You know, and then I think on the same note, a company selling a product without even knowing the harm it causes to the human body or how addictive the product is, which causes, again, both ha more harm on a person, both physically and mentally. So again, consumerism and then, you know, contributing to the addiction factor, the substance use disorder, you know, they didn't care what was in the product. They didn't care, you know, it, it sounds like to me, they didn't even really test it. You know, it's just, they took this product they don't know what's in it. They don't know how it's made, but they packaged it anyways and sold it, you know, without even thinking about the consequences or how it hurts someone or how it can harm someone. They just cared about making money. So the next scene is with another businessman and his name is Fletcher. Fletcher, why, you're Mr. Rutherford. Mo, that's right. Fletcher, I expected you about now. I gather Stater wasn't a rather congenial community for you. Mo, news travels fast. Fletcher, mm-hmm. Mo. You're not one of them, are you, huh? You're not on the stuff, are you? Fletcher, oh, no, no. My doctor would never allow me to take any of that. Mo, but you distribute it. You know what's in it. You put it in the stores and in the supermarkets. Fletcher, I know what it is. Don't be ridiculous. I don't know what it is. Does anybody know what it is? I only made it what it was, and those who would take a critical mass of it, to them, why it's everything. Those people who discovered it, and they came here and brought it to me first, they were already addicted. They were compelled to find somebody like me who could market it in the tens of millions. Mo, but that was long before you test market product in Stater. So where did it all start? Everyone in Stater went to a little town called Midland, Georgia. Now your conglomerate owns a mining company in Midland. Fletcher, let go of it, Mr. Rutherford. You can't stop it. Mo, I can shut you down. Fletcher, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think anybody would pay much attention to a disruptive character like you. You're a rogue. You're a crook. And the pay of the ice cream company is trying to screw the competition. Mo, I could always kill you. Fletcher, or you could come work for me. Let me show you something. I had a little envelope here for you in anticipation of your arrival. He tossed the envelope. What do you think of that? So Fletcher thinks he can bribe Mo because, you know, money. <laughs> Everyone has a price a price to sell their soul, you know? Luckily, in our case, Mo, um, he's not that easily persuaded and money doesn't really talk for him. So I'm thinking, again, like let's backtrack a little bit for a second. So Fletcher flat out states that the people who discovered the stuff were already addicted to the product. This product that he's helped distribute has an addictive, pro you know, has an addictive aspect to it. But, you know, it's like, fuck it, who cares? Let's um, sell that shit anyways. Who cares if it's harmful to people, you know, physically and mentally? And it's addictive. So it's basically a drug. Like, our this company is mar is making money. 
So it doesn't matter who they have to hurt as long as their wallets stay full. Like, that's the whole thing I'm thinking of is like, oh, these people came to me. They're already addicted to that. Eh, fuck it. Who cares? Like, we're just going to sell it anyways because now we're going to make money off the stuff because it has an addictive property to it. They know people will buy it. So consumerism, capitalism, again, I feel like, uh, you know, American greed, like a product that causes addiction and they don't even let the public know that it has addictive properties to it and that it has side effects on the body. Like they don't care. It's all about making money. So again, it's reflecting on both like consumerism and addiction. You know, they're pushing this product out without knowing anything really about it because it makes them money. So who cares how it hurts anyone else? But then this product also causes addiction because people get addicted to it and want more. So to me, it's reflecting on both those aspects again, like the consumerism idea and like American greed. And then of course, you know, contributing to addiction and substance use disorder in the United States. And again, these are metaphors for like what was going on in the United States at the time. The stuff is being marketed without knowing what's in it or how it's made because it makes them money, consumerism like idea. But then the stuff itself is addictive and it actually causes harm to a person's body by basically taking over them and taking over their mind and eating them from, you know, the inside out. So there's also this like, short scene by our character Jason who's this like little boy who sees the stuff moving one night in his fridge and like doesn't want to touch it but his whole family eats it so he goes downstairs and like he sees his mom and his dad and his brother and they're all eating the stuff and they're trying to convince Jason to eat it too like to come join them and eat it and Jason's dad at one point says they're good for us Jason they kill the bad things inside us and then just before this scene we see a commercial about the stuff and it states enough is never enough the stuff that makes you hungry for more so first off jason's dad made me think that one so one of the reasons why some people turn to a substance and you know in turn become addicted is because they're trying to self-medicate a mental illness that they're suffering from or try to mask like a pain of like some kind of emotion or feeling that they're experiencing so like when his dad says kills the bad things inside us it's like killing the bad feelings inside of us, like guilt or depression, grief, etc. So, quote, the stuff is killing the bad things, to me, is like a metaphor for one of the reasons why people use a substance to suppress their pain, you know, that they're using this because of something they're going through, something they're experiencing, and they want that pain to go away. So they try to suppress the pain with some kind of drug of choice, you know, whether it's alcohol or anything else. Like I said, there's a lot of different addictive products out there, like I said, to, to mask that pain, to suppress that pain. So it feels to me as like when he says it kills the bad things inside us, to me, it's a metaphor saying it kills the bad emotions, and bad feelings that we're feeling and experiencing, which is part of the reason or is a contributing factor is what I mean to why someone might um, develop substance use disorder and uh, addiction, if that makes sense. So, and then I'm thinking the idea of when the commercial says enough is never enough, it kind of just shows that the company knows their product is addictive. They flat out basically state it's, you know, and they state it in like this fun little jingle that it's addictive, yet they package it, market it, and sell it. Not caring, again, how it affects people as long as it makes them money. You know, they're like, it makes you hungry for more. We know you're going to eat this and you're going to keep buying this product, but we don't care because we're making money. Again, like I said, like, I think a lot of this on the surface is 
you know, consumerism and capitalism. And like I keep saying, like good old American greed, you know, but it's also underlying factor of like, again, addiction, um, you know, someone who is suffering from substance use disorder and then how some of these companies can contribute, um, be a contributing factor to why someone um, develops this kind of addiction because they're watching these commercials um, and they're glorifying this product that can actually harm them, but they feel like I should try it. I'm going to buy this product without really knowing how it hurts them or harms them. So again, this is what I think a lot of the movie is about. So I'm going to move on. There's another short scene and it's actually just one line. And, but I feel again, it's very symbolic for addiction. And Mo says, seems you got to eat enough of it before it starts taking control of your mind. And like anything else, some people are more susceptible. So. Again, I'm a psychology major. I have to read all these different theories. I have to really research a lot on a lot of disorders. And I've still got quite a ways to go before I even have a bachelor's degree. But of course, as I take each class, I'm learning more and more. So one of the theories that has been backed by their own experiments in science is, you know, for psychology about addiction, is that not everyone who actually tries or experiments with drugs um, or alcohol will become addicted or develop substance use disorder. Again, some people are more susceptible than others. And this is, of course, due to many contributing factors. There's a lot of factors that um, determine whether or not someone will develop an addiction. So, you know, a lot of people can try drugs and never, ever become addicted to that drug or, al or, or alcohol. But on the other hand, some people who may be more susceptible um, because of biological reasons, genetics, or um, for environmental reasons, um, are more susceptible to becoming addicted. And just that one line when he says, like, some people are more susceptible than others really does reflect on the whole idea of how addiction can work and why, again, this is a theory that was, you know, someone had and they proved it through their experiments that not every person who experiments with drugs becomes an addict. There's many different contributing factors as to why some people do and others don't. But it's just that one line and it speaks a lot of truth about susceptibility to other to people and why some people are more susceptible, which is why the stuff is taking over some people, they're more susceptible to it, while others it doesn't seem I guess doesn't seem to affect. So Anyways, um, moving on again, I feel like I say that all the time. I'm going to move on to the scene that made me kind of look back and realize that some parts of this movie um, and the stuff itself could be a metaphor again for, like I said, communism. The fear that the enemy will sneak in, infiltrate us and slowly take over, making us conform, you know, by taking over our minds. And this scene is between Mo and Colonel Spears. And it's after Mo, Jason, and his character, Nicole, realize what the stuff is about and they kind of want to warn the world what's going on. So they meet up with Moe's, I don't think he's a friend with his, but he actually, but Moe knows who Colonel Spears is. So he goes and talks to him. So um, I'm just going to call him Spears. Spears, now you won't be trying to lie to me or deceive me or entrap me. Moe, do you remember you were worried about the commies putting fluoride in our water system? Spears, mm-hmm. Moe, you know, there's a thing going on now that's a lot worse. Americans are being poisoned faster and quicker than you can imagine. Spears, poisoned. Mo, yeah. The FBI, you know, they're always worried about commies getting these deep cover agents and putting them into high positions in American industry. Then they'd acquire a corporation, right? And then they'd work on us from within, right inside it, get inside, our insides, and get us from the inside. 
Get it? Spears, sounds like one of my radio speeches a year ago last Thanksgiving. Well, you were a deep prophet. A product is being sold now and is being consumed by tens of millions of people, and it contains a mind-affecting drug, and you and I both know who they are. Spears, and they're doing it? Mo, oh yeah, their headquarters are less than 100 miles from here. Spears, sons of bitches, they're flaunting it at me. So again, this whole part, you know, where Mo actually says, and then they'd work on us from the, within, you know, right inside, get inside our insides and get us from, you know, inside, because that's literally what the stuff is doing. It's eating people from the inside out. It's infiltrating the body, taking over and taking control of our insides while it consumes our insides. So, you know, so again, then I think, you know, symbolically, the stuff is the commies coming over here to the U.S. and slowly gaining our trust, pretend they're one of us, infiltrate us, and take over and use some sort of mind control on us. So I feel like after I saw this scene and was listening to how the stuff comes and takes over us from the inside, and he says the commies are coming over and taking over from the inside, it definitely was like, wow, this is a metaphor for communism. And I didn't realize it until I saw this scene. And then it made me go back and think about some of the scenes and say, yeah, not only can the stuff be, you know, or the whole, you know, the movie can be um, a metaphor for, you know, consumerism and addiction. It can also be seen as a metaphor for communism and the whole idea that people were afraid that people from another country were going to come in to the USA, you know, the body, you know. And, you know, which is, you know, the body is what I mean. So, sorry, let me try to reword this. So the stuff is the commies, which infiltrates the human body, which is the USA, and works from the inside out, which the stuff eats you from the inside out. The commies work from the inside and work their way out to take control. Again, hopefully that makes sense. Sorry, I had to reword it. I had to think back and be like, wait a minute, let me switch things around a little bit. So. The last aspect I wanted to mention were kind of the kills, you know, people dying from the stuff as being a metaphor for addiction itself, like how a substance, the stuff, eats away at you from, again, like I said, the inside out. Not only does it take over your mind, affecting you mentally, it also destroys your body, affecting you physically as well. That's what um, addiction does. It affects a person, both mind and body. And so does the stuff. You know, if you eat enough of this stuff, you know, use enough substance, it starts to control your mind. This stuff starts to control your mind. Substances affect your thought pattern and behaviors and personality. While at the same time, it's consuming you from the inside out until you're a shell of a person. So does substances, you know, for substance use disorder and um, addiction. It affects you physically and um, taking too many Drugs or drinking too much alcohol can lead to respiratory problems, organ damage, cardiovascular disease, sorry, cardiovascular disease, and even death. So the kills itself of the stuff, it takes over your mind, which I think is symbolic of how addiction takes over you mentally and it affects your thought pattern, behaviors, and personality. Then the stuff starts to eat you away from the inside out, affecting your affecting you physically, which so does long-term substance use disorder. It affects your body, causing diseases within the body and causing, it can cause organ failure. So again, I think the kills themselves to me are very symbolic 
of addiction. So again, I feel like this movie is very much on the outside, a big, you know, message about consumerism of the 80s and American greed. And I said, you know, capitalism, of course, Reaganism, because it was the, you know, Reagan's era, but also underlying message and the underlying metaphors that movie can be very symbolic of one, um, like I said, communism, the fear of, you know, someone from another country coming over and they're taking over us from the inside out, you know, infiltrating us and slowly, slowly taking over our minds and taking over our country, but also can be um, a big metaphor for addiction, not just with, you know, addiction itself and how it um, affects a person's body and mind, but also how a lot of these companies um, use commercials and use their product by saying like, hey, this product is fun. They glorify it, use these fun commercials with these little jingles, show people having a great time and partying, getting, you know, men getting women, women being beautiful and really trying to push their product on people without telling them how it can harm them and the side effects it can cause on them. Not to mention that these products can become addictive to the person. So that's kind of what I feel like the whole movie is, you know, basically about, you know, again, I might be reading into it more than it should, or, you know, it could be a lot of different things. So anyways, I'm going to move on to my reviews. Den of Geek said, the stuff is at its strongest when it satires advertising in a post-war consumer society. Inspired by the way cigarettes were advertised before anti-smoking legislation kicked in towards the end of 20th century, Cohen creates a wry comment and how things that are bad for us can be made to seem appealing through the use of a catchy jingle or colorful logo. It looks at how cheerfully we'll collectively consume things without necessarily thinking about the harm they're doing to us. So the next review is from A to Z Horror. And the reason why I want to read this because it was a really funny review. And the part I'm going to read is actually from the plot synopsis. And again, it was, it was a really funny one. It made me laugh. So that's why I kind of want to read it to you guys. So A to Z Horror says, some random rubes in a train yard pick up and lick a white mystery sludge because that's the safest and most normal thing they can think of to do upon discovering something that looks sinister. Turns out it tastes sweet and they immediately decide that they want to sell that shit to people because capitalism. It quickly becomes all the rage and there are jingles and shit all over the place because consumerism and, market, and marketing of the 80s. So it goes on and, and it talks a lot like that throughout the review, but it was a really funny one. It was just kind of the way it was like, yeah, because consumerism, you know, or because, yeah, the 80s or because, yeah, that's the smart thing to do when you see something sinister coming out of the ground. You eat it. So anyways, <laughs> sorry. So overall, this movie was a fun little romp into 80s nostalgia. This movie tackles the issues of consumerism, communism, and American greed on the surface, making it known that they have a message and that the audience knows what this message is. But underneath, the underlying plot tackles the serious issue of addiction and how big companies, such as alcohol and cigarettes, advertise a product, glorifying it without letting the public know the dangers that product can have on a person and, you know, the addiction it can cause because money, you know, they make money. This movie not only delivers some pretty gross-out kills, making the audience wiggle in their seats, but also makes the audience laugh at times, whether in a, intentionally or unintentionally, making this movie, I feel like, a perfect balance between horror and comedy. This movie is a perfect example of what a horror comedy should be, keeping the audience laughing, glued to their screen, and grossing them out all at the same time. This was actually a first-time watch for me, and again, I'm so glad I finally got around to seeing it. It was one of those movies, again, I remember seeing at the video store, and I just never got around to seeing it. You know, I've seen many, many horror movies in my life, but there's still so many more for me to see. It's like, I've seen hundreds of horror movies, but there's still like hundreds of more 
that I haven't even seen. I feel like I've barely made a dent in, you know, the horror movie genre. So this movie was fun. And again, I highly recommend it. And I was thinking about it. And I know you hear me say that a lot that I will, I'm recommending pretty much every movie that I see. But the truth is, I will always find something I like in every horror movie I watch. Even a movie, you know, even if people say the movie is bad, I will find some aspect I enjoy about it. Because in my opinion, these movies were someone's hard work, their dream, their vision, and I will not crap all over it. I wouldn't want someone, you know, dissing my show and crapping all over my show because I work hard on the show and this is my dream and my vision and this is my outlet and I want people to enjoy it, you know, and I hope people enjoy it. So the same thing, that's kind of like my same mentality when it comes to horror movies in general is that I will always find something I like in every horror movie I watch, whether it's a certain scene, a certain kill, any aspect, but I will never crap on a horror movie, even if it's quote bad. Because in my eyes, that was someone's dream and vision. And I wouldn't want someone crapping on my, you know, dream and vision. So my one of my theories for myself is that I will always find something I like in every horror movie I watch. So that's why you'll hear me say with every single horror movie that I recommend it. And I hope that as you listen to the show, you hear why I'm recommending it. Is all those aspects I've talked about is what makes the movie so fun and enjoyable and why I think you should watch it. So anyways, I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining me here on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss horror history, psychology, mental health within horror movies. Again, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you.